It was Halloween night of 2007, freshman year in high school, and I was with my friends, Ivan, Ryan, and Jesse. We were all dressed as the Super Mario characters. I was Luigi since I was the second tallest. Ivan was Mario since he's short and buff. Not that Mario is buff. Jesse was Waluigi because he's freakishly tall and skinny, and Ryan was Wario because he's just really fat. So they were the perfect group costumes for us. We live in a very non-congested suburban neighborhood with a decent amount of space in between houses. On Halloween, that's the worst thing ever. Less bang for your buck. We were trick-or-treating for hours, way past dark, and eventually came the time when most trick-or-treaters were heading home. My feet started to hurt, and I had to constantly switch arms for holding the now 10-pound pillow sack of candy, but we planned on going until our bags were completely full. A lot of the houses by now weren't answering anymore. It was probably past their cutoff time for giving candy to trick-or-treaters. Approaching our next house, we saw a purple bucket on the stoop, which was the best feeling ever. I was the one to get close enough to realize it was empty, which was the worst feeling ever. I turned around when I heard a knock at the window of the house. We all looked at the window. Couldn't see anyone, but heard someone call out, Wait! The door opened and an older man, late forties, already balding, stepped outside. He told us to come inside so he can get us some more candy. I said we could just wait out here. He responded saying something along the lines of, Nonsense, come on in, we'll get you your candy. Ivan stepped in and said, It's alright, come on Dan, let's go. I told the guy to take care and apologized. He just stood there watching as we walked off, not saying anything. I felt bad, but at the same time, that guy seemed like a creeper, and I figured I just dodged a bullet not going in there. If the story ended there, it wouldn't be scary. So of course, it didn't end there. We skipped a few of the guys' neighboring houses just to get further away and continued on with our business. We were walking down close to the nature preserve now, so there weren't many houses around us. At this point, we were now walking back closer to Jesse's house. I noticed Ryan had stopped walking and I turned around to see what's up. He said he heard someone moving from behind the trees in the preserve. Now this was before everyone's phones had flashlights, so we couldn't just go searching in the woods for someone. Besides, we were just telling Ryan that it must have been a raccoon or something. You may think this is a bit of a cliché, but when things like this happen in real life, you always assume the more logical possibility. It's just natural. Why would we assume we were being followed? I had to put my arm around Ryan's shoulder and nudge him forward. A little ways down the street, me and Ivan picked up on the sound as well. When we all stopped, the sounds of the footsteps from beyond the trees stopped as well. Ivan yelled at the obvious stalker to go away, or we would beat the shit out of them. I knew he was just bluffing though. I could hear the nervousness in his voice. The snap of a twig from beyond the trees triggered a fight-or-flight response in all of us. Me, Jesse, and Ryan all ran for it. Ivan was at first charging to attack but he quickly followed after realizing we had all taken off. We ran down the dark street, and we all noticed the sounds of at least two or three pairs of footsteps crushing the twigs and leaves in the woods. We banked it hard right down Jesse Street when it finally came up and ran straight for his backyard entering his house through the back door. 
the first thing we did was peek out through his living room window. We couldn't see anyone. We all had to gather our thoughts and discuss what the hell just went down in his living room when all of a sudden we heard Jesse's backyard gate slam shut. Jesse dove to turn off the lights. There was a click and a bang from down in the den. It was more than likely Jesse's back door. We all agreed to go down armed with knives and face them. Jesse turned on his back door light, but there was nobody out there. Just then the front door opened and we all screamed like animals. Jesse's mom and sisters came rushing downstairs. They had just gotten home from their friend's little house party. We all rested assured knowing it was just them. Jesse explained what happened but made it seem a lot less dramatic. Me and Ivan went home after that and called it a night. At 12.30am, I got a disturbing text message. It was from Jesse. It said, It wasn't my mom. I texted back saying, What? He responded back quickly, saying, It wasn't my mom in the backyard. My finger slammed the buttons on my phone, responding back, What do you mean? There was a long pause before he finally told me that his mom and sisters said they never went in the backyard. I told him to immediately check the backyard from his upper deck. He had already done just that. He also told his mom everything, and she had already called the police. They didn't find anyone back there, but Jesse did mention the guy who invited us in while trick-or-treating. Nothing ever became of that, and nothing ever happened at Jesse's house again after that one Halloween night. Last Halloween, I was asked to chaperone my little brother Kevin, my little cousin Mike, and his friends while they trick-or-treated. No, I wasn't the typical cliched teenager that was pissed off because I had better things to do. I was perfectly content with hanging out with my little brother, my little cousin, and his friends. I was 18 years old, so I was a bit old to actually be collecting candy myself. So I asked my little brother to carry a smaller bag and put some candy in there for me at each house. By the time that small plastic bag was full, I was asking the kids if they were ready to go home, and every time I would ask, they would say no. They insisted on filling their bags to the top, but that was out of the question. I had enough, so I started leading them back in the direction of Mike's house. Suddenly, a white van pulled up next to us. The driver rolled down the passenger side window and asked me if I could help him out with something. Nah, I gotta get these kids home, I said, as I directed my attention back to the group. He said he just needed me to fix his passenger seat into the upright position, as it was a two-person job and he said he had a date. I told him it would have to be quick. He parked his car and told me to get inside. I opened the door and began fidgeting with the seat. He was telling me to lift, and then I would lift. He would then say put it back down. I'm gonna be honest, I thought this guy was just flat out dumb until I heard the kids screaming outside. There was somebody trying to grab one of Kevin's friends. I almost fell on my face as I tried to get out of the van. When I did, I grabbed him by the throat and began to strangle him. The driver came out and shoved me to the floor and attempted to grab Kevin, but the owner of the house we were in front of came out front with a rifle in his hand. He fired a shot in the air, a warning shot, and with that, the two creeps hopped back in their van and drove off. I tried to grab a hold of one of them, but 
I wasn't quick enough. The van was gone down the street before I could even take five steps after getting up. I couldn't express enough gratitude to that old man who came out with the rifle. I wish I could say the story ended there happily, but unfortunately the next day while watching the news, there was a report of a missing nine-year-old boy in our town. Now, I usually believe in coincidences, but I know that wasn't any coincidence, and I know for the rest of my life, it will kill me remembering how I could have prevented a kidnapping had I just grabbed a hold of one of those guys. Me, my best friend Jordan, and my friend Chris were trick-or-treating on Halloween night. We live in a really rural side of Pennsylvania, and Halloween always kind of sucked because of that. For all you city and urban kids, Halloween is a lot different when you live in a quiet, rural area. First of all, and most obviously, the walking distance between houses is much worse. However, people tend to give more candy to us since they get less trick-or-treaters. And that's the second thing, less trick-or-treaters. It's actually kind of rare to see other people trick-or-treating by us, mainly because we live in the middle of East Bumblefuck. So it didn't feel as festive or just Halloween-ish. I'll tell you right now, it felt a lot spookier though, walking down foresty roads all alone with your group, only with the occasional house. And for that, maybe it was a perfect place for Halloween. It was our first house of the night. I remember the kind old man who answered had a huge bowl of Kit Kats and Snickers. He poured at least a pound of candy into each of our bags. It was great. Our next house was quite some hike away, but once again, the woman who answered was very friendly and gave a very generous amount of candy. After about six houses, our bags were starting to get heavy, but you have to realize it took almost half an hour to hit those six houses. We reached the entrance of the dirt road leading to smaller houses and trailer homes. The first two houses on this dirt road we tried didn't answer, so we decided to try one more on this road before turning around to find another area. We reached the very appropriately eerie property of a smaller house along the dirt path. The whole front yard had an orange glow because of the four torches that were lit up leading to the front porch. There was an orange bowl on the stoop decorated with black silhouettes of witches, pumpkins, and other Halloween themes. Besides two stray Tootsie Rolls, the bowl was empty. There was a sign on the door that read, If there is no more candy, enter the back at your own risk for more. Under that there was an evil looking smiley face, along with an arrow pointing to the backyard. Chris said let's just turn around and go back, but Jordan and I wanted to go around back. It seemed interesting, as if they had something cool set up. Chris had no choice but to follow us around the house to the backyard, which was a small clearing from the miles of forest that surrounded. The backyard was lit up orange as well, but not as brightly. There was a single torch that sat in the middle of the small yard. It provided enough orange light to see a note on the back door. We got closer to the back door and read the note. It was some kind of riddle. It said, if candy is what you desire, then you have to look closer to the fire. And yes, I still remember that stupid riddle to this day. So of course we assumed that by the fire meant by the torch. Chris was saying he did not like this, that it seemed too suspicious. I was kind of weirded out a bit too, but Jordan seemed interested in it, and I didn't want to seem scared to him. 
Plus, it was the most interesting thing to happen all night in this boring town. There was nothing around the torch, though. It was literally just dug into the center of the backyard. There was a small wooden shed by the corner of the clearing, and in the other corner were a bunch of tools and wood scattered across the grass. Jordan tried leading us closer to the woods, but I was with Chris now. I was pushing for Jordan to just leave now, as it was too weird and creepy to be looking for candy in a stranger's backyard. He kept telling me, hang on, hang on, one more minute. While he was looking around, I started to examine the place. The house had an old, dirty look to it, surely a very low-income home. I started to examine the windows. One of them was cracked, the other had blinds closed, and then I looked up at the upstairs window. There was somebody looking down at us, specifically at me. When he or she noticed me, they moved away from the window and shut the blinds. I told Jordan we should go. I looked over to the window of the wooden shed. I could see someone poking their head out ever so slightly. I grabbed Jordan, yanking him over to follow me, but he was frozen still. He was looking up at the woods. I looked to see what he saw. There was a person coming out from the woods. Jordan was laughing, I guess he thought it was supposed to be a part of this spooky setup. I watched with him until we saw the person come into light, wearing a genuinely horrific mask. And there was something in his hand. A machete. Jordan still thought it was a joke. Even Chris seemed to be laughing a bit. Hell, I started to think it was all just a nice little Halloween setup. Until the person wearing the mask charged at Jordan and swung the machete only he missed as Jordan backed up in time. We all sprinted back out front where we saw somebody blowing out the torches. He spotted us and started chasing us. We ran all the way down the dirt road, back down the paved road, and made it back to my house. Jordan was throwing up, I'm not sure if it was because of running so much, or because of the fact that he almost lost his life. We told my parents right away. My dad called the police and asked them to come to the house. My dad then drove us to the house where it happened with the police following us. By the time we got there, everything was gone. And by everything, I mean the notes, the torches, and the candy bucket. The house had been vacant for months. Nobody was living there. It was the perfect place to set up a murder scene. We requested the police go inside to check, as I did spot somebody spying on us from upstairs. But it turned out they were gone as well. We did the best we could to describe what happened and the people I saw. I believe one of the officers told my dad they would investigate further into this and thanked us for the info. Maybe you don't realize how sick this world is. Full of insane, scary, messed up people. Until you actually come into encounter with them. <laughs>